You are listening to More Human, the show where we share the stories that encourage leaders to make their businesses and organizations more human. I'm your host, Jeremy Newlick. So you're headed out for lunch on a beautiful spring day, and you stumble across this old friend of yours. And the two of you decide, you know, it's been so long and it's a beautiful day. We should go to lunch together. And over lunch, you guys cover all the right topics. Ugh, I'm so busy. How's your son, daughter? Uh, My kids are great. Did you hear what happened to Diane? I know. She should have left him a long time ago. I mean, at least she finally got to go to Paris, you know. I would love to get to go around the globe like that. And it's at this last comment that your friend pauses and looks up from his lunch burrito. And he starts to say something like this. The flat earth would be a circular flat area surrounded by a field that is known as Antarctica. This white rim around the outside, a lot of people refer to it as the ice wall. And then the dome is over the top. Now, how high it is is also in question. I believe it's some kind of a star field firmament about 6,000 miles above us. And it appears to be cymatic light field electromagnetic energy not gravity at all gravity is a deception the sun and the moon are these transcendental cymatic um, luminaries you're stunned what in the world is going on here why would someone who seems so normal be drawn into a conspiracy like this i imagine you've seen some of these flat earthers they've become the poster children for a cacophony of conspiracy theories out there and our popular culture, they've fed this need. On YouTube, you can find Shane Dawson's Conspiracy Theories series, and it garners tens of millions of views per video. Did you know that those California fires last year were the result of a government laser testing gone wrong? And that aliens actually abducted that Malaysian airplane that disappeared mid-flight? Now, while it might seem easy to dismiss some of these stories as complete delusions, their rise in popularity should be an indication to business and organizational leaders everywhere that something's happening. These stories are so seductive and so interesting. Now, why would this be? One answer to why the rise in conspiracies can be offered through Judy Ryan of LifeWorks Systems. Judy believes that there are four basic human needs. That people want to be powerful, lovable, connected, and contributing. Now, powerful here means that you have autonomy to make your own decisions. Lovable means that you can be accepted just like you are. And to be connected is to be social. And finally, we humans like to feel like we can contribute something. We have something of value to offer. This theory holds that if these needs are not met in some way, that humans will find a way to meet them. And this offers some explanation as to why an otherwise seemingly normal person could believe something so irrational as a conspiracy theory. If I interact with a community of people who are promoting, let's say, the theory that, oh, I don't know, mattress firm is laundering money, I will feel powerful. I have knowledge that seemingly no one else has. I feel lovable because I'm valued for who I am. I'm connected to a community of believers. And I'm contributing something because I'm championing the cause. So believing and promoting the theory fulfills your needs, and thus, once you believe it, you can see it. Now, if you're in leadership, here's why this should give you pause. 
we all have these deep needs. And because of the changing attitudes in our culture and the abilities of humans to connect more often, people are driven to find more ways to fulfill them. And if you're trying to lead people, then you must have, as part of your design, a way to address deep human needs. You have to do this or, well, people will find a way to fulfill them. Now on our show today, we have two people who have found themselves at the front lines of taking on the fulfillment of human needs in the business world and specifically in the built environment. We have... I'm Ken Crabill. I'm an architect and designer of Creative Space. And I'm Cindy Bambini, and I am the business development leader for Canon Design. Canon Design, the architectural engineering design firm where Ken and Cindy both work, has locations all across this big blue round earth of ours. And what they began to notice all around the world was that leaders, when dealing with built environments, quickly became deeper and deeper focused on human needs. And Ken, in the years of his experiences, has found the built environment is really a canvas on which something much more meaningful can take place. You can create a, a space, a place, that somebody is comfortable because they say, this is my place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're going to be far more productive and more engaged in whatever they're doing, either as a customer, as an employee, or as a student. So by asking questions, by digging deeper, Ken has found he's able to address what's driving the need for a change in the built environment. And as he and his colleagues have had more and more of these interactions around the world, they started to find that there were underlying community-wide issues that were even bigger than what a single firm could solve. But instead of feeling powerless to change it, Ken, Cindy, and others at Canon Design began to host events. They were free, open to the public, just to address specific needs within a community. Now, we're going to talk more about those events later in the episode. But all of this insight started with careful listening. And according to Ken, this kind of listening quickly gets leaders to talk in deeper conversations. The deeper conversations, they're, they're, they're interesting. So let me, let me kind of take it in two bucks. Let's take it in the, in the functional, and then let's take it in the how do we uh, connect more, okay? Mm-hmm. So from the functional, deeper conversations, of course, um, there, we should never lose sight of the economics of anything, right? You know, there are budgets, there are targets, there are goals, financial goals, real estate goals, um, admission goals. There, there's a functional economic side to every decision that gets made mm-hmm. in the creative process. So if we just kind of accept that and then talk about the other deep conversations that we have, and, and a lot of those stem around how does a built how does the built environment pair up with match or further enable a deeper engagement of an organization into an individual's life okay so how does the built environment i'll say tie to what happens at home or at night around the weekends mm-hmm. right you know if an organization is saying uh we we want a space that uh, promotes wellness that's great but are you also providing some of, I'll say, the HR aspects associated with wellness in the life of your employees or your students? Sure. Do they take those values home right. and live them in, in a very healthy sort of way? Because if, frankly, only one portion of an individual's week is a healthy environment 
and and looking forward to uh, creating that wellness in what they do, but they go home and it's totally different. You're not getting your your uh, bang for the buck there, right? Sure. And so we we spend quite a bit of time working with our our partners on their larger, I'll say, HR program, human resource programs. How are they engaging with their employees? How are they creating connectivity between, uh, uh, say, food selection mm. at work and food selection at home? Mm. What's the educational value associated with eating? Mm. Um, is a big one. We we talk quite a bit about that. We mm. work with with them on that. Um, also access to uh, technology and, and creating uh, ways to allow us a, employees and, and students to participate in healthy activities with their coworkers and their neighbors. Mm. And um, if, if we don't, we have to embrace that. From Ken's perspective, Changes to the built environment are but one of a number of essential steps that business owners can take to address a deep human need inside of an organization. And that's why it should be no surprise that his methodology for how to go about making those changes to the built environment begins first with a series of discussions. All right, step number one. Yeah. <laughs> articulate what you're trying to do to your employees. Just tell them, this is what we're trying to do. And we need your help doing it. Mm. And then that's step one. Step two is be open enough to embrace ideas that aren't yours. Okay. And we talk we talk with leadership about that in very so, much softer ways. <laughs> uh, but but that is step two is if you're going to ask for the input, embrace what you hear back. Okay. Mm. Because ultimately, it goes back to the human scale of this, the choice, the comfort, the passion. That, that people have. So if you can kind of get through steps one and step two, then there are a lot of ways to create space that support the ideas that eventually will hit the, the goals. Interesting. So you're like, you're asking uh, essentially for a degree of some some personal professional development on the front end of even asking those questions, right? Yeah. Because it's like, absolutely. hey, if you're, if you're going to go down this road, like asking people what they think, um, a lot of people see that as like, that's like landmines, man. Like you want me to go to my employees and mm-hmm. ask them for input. And will they tell you know? me the truth? Are they comfortable <laughs> <Yeah>. with it? <laughs> we, uh, that uncovers a lot, right? Because yeah. it's, you know, those are conversations that uh, at times, you know, depending on your role as a leader is, is how effective have you been at, at being open mm-hmm. um, previous to this discussion, mm-hmm. right? So. And we do spend, we don't just launch a leader into a conversation like that, we uh, will just sit kick with them. Kick them in the deep end, man. Yeah, we will sit with them for quite a while to kind of n- help them navigate that conversation. How you receive feedback, how you distill the feedback from complaining into actual productive ideas, right? Yeah, right, right, right. You know, right. Um, but uh, and there are a lot of ways to engage. You know, uh, there are a lot of ways to engage your employees from face to face to surveys to, um, you know, one thing I I love to do, and we, we don't do it often enough because I think that not everybody's comfortable with it. But if you just ask your employees to put a post-it note anywhere they go on a given day. So Mm. from the moment you arrive to the moment you leave, Mm. when you're getting up and off out of your desk and other things, put a post-it note there. Then at the end of the day, walk around and just see where all the post-it notes are. Right. Because that's what you need in your next space. Interesting. Now it might not be in that way, but that's what you need or some iteration thereof. I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's a fun exercise in my opinion. So Ken believes that leaders can use anticipated changes to the built environment 
as an opportunity to create more meaningful interactions with employees. And this way, more people will be conscious and aware of how they're working, leading to greater buy-in. And rather than anxiety, changes can be the reason for excitement. Ken is an example of a business leader who went through the entire process from start to finish. And it created a kind of change, both in his organization and himself, that he otherwise could not have experienced. So the gentleman is a CEO um, for an international corporation. Um, they're based here in the States. And when we sat down with him, he was not exactly excited about having to change their, their environment, if you will, their built environment, but he recognizes it need, needed to be done. And he's a very goals-driven individual. And so he stood up in front of hundreds of people and said, this is what our business is doing and this is where we're going. And then allowed his team to create space to enable that through a lot of engagement with their employees. Fast forward two years later, the, uh, the, the space is built, it's a brand new space. And for 30 days, so for four straight weeks, he never sat in the space that was designated for him. He sat in other group spaces. Mm -hmm. He sat in open conference spaces. He sat in the food court and he did all of his work. And it was a very intentional four weeks for him uh, because he wanted to prove to people that it was okay to work in these new spaces. You asked for these spaces. I supported those spaces. And therefore, I will work in so these spaces. So I'm going to model that. And he's absolutely right. modeling that. Right. And he's actually absolutely modeling the health side of it. Mm. He, well, as we talked earlier, I'm a runner, right? Yeah. He's a runner. And I will say when I'm on campus about two days a week, you will see him around the lunch hour running with people. Mm. And I asked somebody once that does run with them, I said, is it like a club? Like, do you talk work? And they said, no, it's open. If you want to, he leaves at a certain time from the fitness center. And you can't talk work. And those are the rules. And so he's emulating to a population of over 3,000 people health. Interesting. And, and so and, it's and, an amazing example. Right. I would love to do a case study with him. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, not, he's not necessarily that kind of guy. So well, that, I tell his story anyways. That's interesting, though, because, like, the again, like, the space was the aperture, though, right? It was. Like, yeah. we, we have to have, we have to catalyze a conversation around something. And mm -hmm. the idea that we're going to address the built environment gives us something tangible, a canvas upon which to have that kind of conversation, right? Mm -hmm. But the implications then are much more far-reaching than than necessarily the built environment is what you're saying. Like the the living into it is really what has made the difference in terms of using it as the catalyst, living it out, modeling those behaviors, you know. And if you really want to be effective in addressing space, it sounds like you're saying, you know, let's uh, first ask the question on, you know, how much am I willing to develop as a leader? Can I take on, you know, and model the things I'm really after? You know, I mean, that's kind of the challenge that's in front of you, right? Absolutely. And that's the challenge for business leaders that, le that listen to this. Right. If you're going to take this on, it requires a little bit of self-development for everybody. Over the years, Ken, Cindy, and the others at Canon Design realized that the transformations that they have helped to create have implications that go beyond the four walls of a building. And they realized that the communities into which they were making built environment changes had deep issues and complications, lots of variables. They realized they had tapped into something much bigger than them or their projects. It had to do with the deep human needs of an entire collective or community. So they began to ask, 
what if we applied our built environment design process to the larger culture? What if we gather people around issues? And instead of presenting a series of solutions, we instead ask them to uncover everything they know about the problem. Cindy gives us a rundown on what inspired this series of community-wide conversations. We got the idea and we've branded these conversations Horizon. Mm -hmm. So Horizon St. Louis, we're having our inaugural public conversation on April 3rd. Mm -hmm. And we've seen success in other cities. Canon is in about 20 cities across the United States. And the conversations have been from things as simple as what are we going to do with this street in Buffalo that is falling apart? How can we rescue it? How can we bring new life to it? What, what are the ideas that we have? We had a whole conversation about food. How do we make the food in our, in our community healthier? Mm. Our St. Louis office of Canon Design focuses a lot on healthcare. We have a large healthcare practice and we're seeing the, the merger of health and wellness. It's across everything that right. we do. So everything from a municipal recreation center to a hospital to Ken's conversation about the human experience going through the waiting room, you know, mm -hmm. is that, how do, how do we improve that? So we, it's a goal that we had as an office to start having these conversations in St. Louis. There are a lot of conversations happening in St. Louis right now. Sure. There's a lot of development in St. Louis right now. There are a lot of people going down a bunch of different paths, and we just wanted to pull a couple of those multidisciplinary paths together and put them in a room mm -hmm. and see what happens when they're all talking about the same topic. Interesting. So, so in the other cities that that you've, that Canon has hosted a lot of these events, what are, what are some of the surprising things that have come out of those events or some of the more interesting sorts of things that people have said as they've had those conversations? Has it shaped, um, you know, the way that maybe you guys have been able to hold conversations then subsequently with your, with your clients or has it shaped maybe some of the experiences those people have had? Absolutely, because it's allowed us to learn what everybody is thinking. And for the food example is the best example of all. Who would have thought we would be in the food business, you right, know, right. thinking about food and how it works into the to their daily lives at work. So it allows us to focus on the aspects of our designs and the, the, the spaces we create for people to make sure we include the things that are important. Mm. So, um, and it also has spawned conversations in these communities where real change is happening. Mm. Um, Buffalo is the best example. Buffalo is a, you know, it's a city like St. Louis. It's a heavy industrial kind of, right. you know, we're a little worried about it city, <laughs> but they're trying to have a resurgence and an upswing. And so looking at that street, I think it was Niagara Street mm -hmm. was the name of this street. There are some really solid ideas that came out of it, and there were people there that had the wherewithal to take some action and maybe um, create some redevelopment plans. And it didn't end in the, that conversation. That was just the mm -hmm. beginning point. So. Right. It sounds like similar to even the kinds of ways that you guys act as a catalyst for business owners when you're having conversations about space. Space becomes this like aperture through which you begin to have mm -hmm. broader discussions over what are we really talking about? What are we trying to achieve? And it sounds like you're doing a similar thing when you're having these, holding these events and you're inviting people right. in. It's like, let's use this as an aperture to talk about 
what we really value as a community or what, right. what we really are after. You know? And we want them to be welcoming and open. They're free. Mm-hmm. Anybody can come. You don't have to work in the industry. It's just if, you know, this is a topic that interests you and you want to hear some conversation, contribute to the conversation, be a part of whatever movement comes out of it. Right. You know, come on down. Right. That's interesting because it does work on that theory of if you just get enough people around a particular, either a design challenge or a topic or something that they're, and they kind of bump into each other, you know, or there's something like that. Mm -hmm. There's some emergent kind of magic that can, can happen. Right. And I guess you guys have seen that in some of these other cities where there's, people who walk away from there with like either a renewed sort of sense of what must happen or what they could do to contribute to whatever the topic was, right? Right. right. Absolutely. We're seeing a, um, a, a real move with these, these events to elevating the conversation about a topic. Mm-hmm. So they are free. We, we, want, we want to welcome everybody to, that's interested in the topic to come and, and talk about it because what we're, we're finding is that these, these first panel discussions seem to always be spawning another conversation sure. and a smaller conversation with, with folks that are not only co- personally committed to seeing that topic move forward in their city, but also community and civic leadership that can help to enable and make that happen. And, and that very much has been one of, I'll say, not only our goals, but our real surprises, uh, especially in Buffalo, mm-hmm. is that um, the, these Horizon events are spawning a conversation among civic and corporate leadership to improving their city. And we, we are, we are the optimists. We believe that that's where this will go, that this is going to elevate the conversation in St. Louis beyond just a, maybe I'll say a, a fact finding or reporting sort of panel right. discussion. Right. That is absolutely not where we're headed with this. And, uh, and that's what excites us. It's why many of us in, in the creative industry and in, in architecture, for instance, um, it's why we do what we do. There is a passion that comes with solving in a problem right you know if you're really committed to it in today's technology let's be frank about it can pump out widgets and solutions so so simply these days right you know and so when you get to the core of i'll say design it's about having a passion for solving the problem right and i think even more so today is recognizing that what we're doing is for individuals it's for humans mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think that's where the passion comes from that's where you see us leaning into how do we improve health and wellness in our community? How do we get passionate about topics that influence the built environment, but really influence humans? Right. And, and that, that's where in lies, I'll say, our motivation for creating right. Horizon across the country. Ken and Cindy both have a great deal of passion. It's evident. And while the built environment is the perfect canvas for the expression of their intention, Their real passions are around serving deep human needs beyond the four walls of a workplace or municipal building. A lot of times, as leaders, we are tempted to foist our solutions onto our organizations. After all, people who are in leadership are driven by vision. However, Ken and Cindy's experiences are a reminder to us to ask yourself first, what problem are we really trying to solve? And by falling in love with the problem, Instead of our solutions, you can uncover the full range and depth of human needs you can serve. Because after all, if you're not serving them or placing them at the center of your design, then humans, they'll find a way to fulfill them. Also, shameless plug here, the founder of the Be Human Project, Elliot Frick, is a panelist at the next Horizon Gathering. 
just days from now. The event, coincidentally, is being held at the central location of the St. Louis Public Library, a redesign that was led by Canon Design. It's on April 3rd from 4 to 6 p.m. You can get tickets or you can find out more information by going to the Be Human Project Facebook or Twitter or looking at the show notes. This has been More Human, a production of the Be Human Project. Editing and sound design by Kalise Walker with art direction by Steph Sabo. It's written and hosted by me, Jeremy Newlick, and we record and produce this thing at our studio at Big White Sky, a human business consultancy. To subscribe to More Human, search for More Human anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. And to learn more about the Be Human Project or if you dig anything you heard today, check out our website, behumanproject.org. And visit often. We love humans. <laughs>